welcome to the FE Research Podcast with Joe and Alistair, a podcast that aims to shine a light on the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. We use art and you know nature writing, nature photography as a way to get people outdoors. Um, and, and, and so here you have different interests happening, right? Because you might want to come because it's an outdoorsy thing. But if you're interested in writing or photography, you might also come. And it just, again, it just happens that the setting is outdoors. It's a nature-based thing. Hello and welcome to the FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher-Saxon and my partner in crime is... It's Alistair Smith. Hi, Joe. Hi, Alistair. How are you? I'm really good. Really good. Thank you very much. How about you? Yeah, yeah, not not bad. We've just um, we've sort of recording this at the time we've gone back into the workplace, haven't we? So yeah, many months of working at home. Interesting time. Not too many changes, but some stickers and some hand sanitizer. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we've got, we've got lots of screens. Okay, um, so it's a kind of really quite um, special podcast today. Um, so I'm just going to explain before we introduce our guest. I'm going to. Um, explain a bit about what's going on. So normally on the podcast we have people who have been engaged in research relating to further education or they work in FE or the kind of academics that, that relate to FE in some way. But in kind of honour of um, World Mental Health Day, um, which will be coming up shortly after we've released this podcast, we've got somebody on who, one of her many topics that she can talk about, I think, I think it's endless actually what she can talk about, is, is kind of well-being. So, um, and we know that's a topic that's come up before in the podcast. So we thought we'd, you know, we'd branch out a bit. So that's the idea, branching out and get somebody on who can talk about all sorts of other stuff with us really today. So, okay. Um, <laughs> should I carry on? I'm just prattling on here, prattling on. Um, right, I, I'm actually going to tell you, Alistair, a few things about how I discovered this person before I even say her name, right? So, um, I discovered her in the middle of the night. That's the first thing, okay? And I was listening to her voice, reading some uh, sort of nature-based poetry, I think. I think that was it at the time. We've chatted on Twitter about kind of regional languages and words like colloquialisms, like baps versus bread versus rolls or ginnels versus alleys and all that kind of stuff that one of my favorite topics um i ran into a bit of a trouble when i suggested she kill slugs in a garden oh my goodness <laughs> I terrible terrible trouble then i suggested she could drown them in beer i think it was a personal fantasy <laughs> and then we even chatted about power rangers power rangers yeah um yeah we did um and i think i it was power rangers dino charge because you know i'm not an animal <laughs> and i gave her my feminist take on the arch the female arch villain in the series so you can tell her interests are eclectic <laughs> so today on the podcast i'm going to give you the official introduction now we have zakia mckenzie a bristol-based writer and researcher she was the 2019 writer in residence for Forestry England and 2017 Bristol Green and Black Ambassador. Zakir is currently writing for a PhD at the University of Exeter where she's researching Black British journalism in the post-war period. Zakir is a volunteer for Ujima 98 FM community radio in Bristol. 
She regularly leads on nature-based art and writing workshops, including one on Caribbean storytelling for children. And in the last year, Zakir has appeared on, appeared on Radio 4's Women's Hour, Farming Today, talk about diverse, Inside Out West, and has written for Smallwoods and BBC Wildlife magazines. Welcome, Zakir! <laughs> Thank you. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. It was really nice to hear the things that you remembered because that that actually is the stuff that we did. But I remember the very first time I was like, wow, this lady's cool. You were, there was wine. There was wine being made. Do you remember this? You oh. were somewhere where there was, I think, wine. It was a brewery. No, it was a, a brewery. brewery. Yeah. Yes. And you posted a photo and I just thought, oh my goodness, she's so cool. She's here, there's a brewery right now and there was a really cool picture of your boots. And yeah, that, that's what I remember actually as the very first time. So it's funny, isn't it? How over the last few months, people have connected though in digital worlds. Yep. And which I was going to say before we press record today. <laughs> right, well, look, um, I, I think, we, if we could, can we dive straight in and ask you some questions? Sure, yes, yeah. yes, I'm ready. So, so I, I've been tracking your progress in the final throes of PhD writing. Oh. Gosh, because you do tweet about it, and I kind of sometimes feel your pain. Mm -hmm. and I, think, I don't know how she's doing it, because uh, Alistair and I are, are sort of, we keep teetering on the edge of doing a PhD. Um, so tell us all about your PhD then, what you've been looking at, what you've been learning. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually, uh, well, I think my PhD has been, uh, it took me a long time to know what I'm doing, what I was doing, but now I, I know I'm researching kind of journalism and, and Black British journalism among West Indian people in Britain in that first, uh, in that first 10 years after the Windrush, you know, so after the Empire Windrush, there was first 10 years and then kind of the decades after. Uh, but it's it's a very interesting topic to me and very overlooked. I think it's there's a lot of writing and journalism and and the kind of uh, literature that we don't don't necessarily consider to be kind of literary art um, because it's the news. But I found a, a interesting topic in it, and so hopefully I, I get this PhD done. I, I definitely have a bit more time on it. Um, you know than I, than I should have but that's just how it's going <laughs> so where, where are you up to then when when will be you know your final sort of submission or uh well I just I mean I just passed my upgrade so I'm kind of now officially a PhD candidate but I think I definitely have maybe a year a year uh, two years you know a year and a half oh. left. right so I have a bit more time I mean technically I should have been finished like being finished soon but I, I, def I had to ask for an extension right but you know I think that's a common thing we hear actually particularly for people who are working who are parents who yeah so many other things yep. and I think that's an important thing to share yeah yeah absolutely I mean the time I would say like the time scale I just you actually just have to go with what and how you can do because there's I mean there's especially at uh, this kind of age and stage, as you said, there's just so much other life happening mm -hmm. around that you have to fit it all in as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's ask you about that because I know, you know, quite a few people who listen to this podcast are thinking about, you know, they're going on a research journey, some within a PhD, some, you yeah. know, things. 
many are parents. So, so what would you advise um, people who are working, who are parents, who want to start that PhD journey? What would be your top tips? Wow. Um, so I think part-time, you know, you have to think about doing work part-time. So I did my master's part-time. Uh, one, because I couldn't afford it in time, but also financially, right? There were two two ways I just couldn't afford it. So I did it over about, I think, two years. And, and so once I, was, once I did that, I was in a much better position in terms of in the job market. Um, and to then think about doing a PhD and looking at uh, scholarship opportunities. I think uh, probably as parents, you know, I think a, a PhD doing it is, is, is financially taxing as well. So that's probably the other step is to just keep your eye on all the scholarships because it's really, really hard to do it without, you know, without. And then the other thing would be like, just get used to nighttime, get used to early mornings, get used to having that quiet time, whether it's your working time or just your own time for yourself, quiet time. Uh, you know, you have to tough it out for, for a bit, for a few years. Tough it out. That's your top tip. Tough it out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, again some people are morning people some are night owls aren't they but again we hear, hear that a lot as well it's interesting you mentioned scholarships actually because I tend to see them only available for full-time PhD candidates I don't often see them available for part-time that's so true yeah yeah that's true so I have a studentship and it is uh full-time right so most of them uh you won't get it for part-time at that level but there are, I think, other organizations and you have lots of uh, probably like trusts and smaller funds that are available. And they're, they're probably, I don't know, what would it be like personal estates? I don't know who would be giving those trusts, but they're kind of these places um, online. And I think it's all, you know, I would always say like find the community organizations that know this stuff. And I think everywhere, every little tone, we have um, some organizations that, um, you know, connect people to, to funding. Mm. And I would say find them. So, you know, for Bristol, it's the kind of places I volunteer at Ujima Radio. You know, we'll find places like that for you. So I think we also have to spread ourselves out to find the opportunities. Um, and sometimes you'll find a full-time one that you can do, which, which, was, which happened for me. Mm. Right? So sometimes that will happen. Other times it won't. But it, there's also a bit of kind of flexing you have to do with getting to know the organizations um, that can help help parents you know they might help you because you're a parent they might help you because you're a single person or because you're working part-time so you just have to kind of get to know it a bit it's a bit that's why I said there's a bit of research and a bit mm. of uh toughing out that you have to do to to, to kind of learn the how, do, how it works you know yeah I think you're right there's a whole navigation of a whole new world I think for people yeah yeah um, so you know you're part way through what would you say has changed for you now, um, you know, either individually as a person or professionally? I'm asking this because we spoke to somebody the other day and she said she believes she's, she has changed as a person, but she's just right at the end of her PhD. So you're part way through. What would you say has changed for you personally or professionally? Wow. Uh, personally, I think, well, you know, the, the thing with a PhD really is that it's 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 taxing, uh, like again time wise. So you have to learn either the hard way or or very quickly that you have to manage your time really well. And so I'm I'm not very good at this at all. Like I'm just not very good at it. And and 
but at this level it shows up in my work and and that's the point that I don't want it to seem like I didn't have enough time to do something or I didn't spend enough time right so in one way it's made me kind of a lot more um made me a lot more um kind of determined in in doing the things that I need to do because I know I only have a certain amount of time to get them done mm -hmm. um the other thing is uh I'm sorry that just totally well I, I was just thinking what about the the subject matter as well the thing you know things about journalism or that period post Windrush what knowing what you're knowing now is that what, what's your thoughts on that yeah, so in that respect, I think uh, that's why I, I kind of know that this is work that needs to be done for me, right? It needs to be done because it's just a big gap in kind of in, in the archives and in, in the current uh, telling and thinking of the news and thinking of the current situation. I mean, I was doing this PhD before this year, before there was a pandemic, before there was kind of cold stone going down in Bristol. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of it that we realize where there's been a gap in what's recorded as history and how we think about memory and collective memories and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing that's changed for me. And I'm with my PhD, that, that's why I know I have a topic and I'm actually into it because I know now that I need to add it to kind of the canon of, of of what we we know and record as history, right? Um, I think it's there's a point where your research really becomes your life, and in in many ways that's happened for me because I was I was born in the UK but I didn't grow up here, so in researching the news, I'm actually researching everything that happened when my parents were here that I have like just didn't think about, you know, because it wasn't my life here at all. It just wasn't, you know, I didn't. That was just history, you know? So in a way, it's, it's kind of even learning my own family life and family history and kind of situation in England, you know? And, and living here now as an adult, um, definitely. You know, I think that, that's really been a big, big part for me as well. It's, it's, it really has become very personal in that way. Yeah. You know? So can't separate it out in a way it is you you are living it aren't you yeah yeah I mean, you mentioned the statue the colston statue um and you know and i i think i can i can probably safely say there'll be lots of people that haven't heard of colston okay actually i mean what, what what's the feeling now in bristol has you know is this, is it still a very live conversation or yeah and and so the Colston statue is one thing, but there's the Colston Hall, there's Colston Road, there's the Colston Girls School, you know, there's schools, there's everything. The city has this long history with the Colston name and the image. And the statue came down, I mean, but the conversation has been happening for probably two or three decades. There have been activists who've been saying that. And in, you know, in one fell swoop, it came down, but there's still kind of other remnants around this city. Mm -hmm. um, the actual Colston Hall had already made a decision to change it, but the and it, they've been closed for renovations, but still had on the facade Colston Hall. Since the statue went down, they've taken that off. So I think everyone else in the city has kind of had to think about what they have that's associated, not just with the name Colston, but it's the legacy of of, of enslaving and and you know in Bristol and wealth that has been produced by. Um, 
shipping people from West Africa to the Caribbean and the Americas and then, you know, the things that were brought back to England. You know, we had a big glass industry here. There was uh, metal. There was a lot of things that were in Bristol that were only here because it was a port city. So it had direct access to all the goods that were coming in. Um, and so we've, we've this, I think the conversations have been happening, but now the city sees that, okay, we have to kind of address them right now here. We're in the moment to do it. You know, I think that's the thing is we're in the right moment. Now it's peak to... Uh, to get those things um, you know we had the climax of all of it now yeah. and I think Bristol recognizes that as well and so we we are having discussions everywhere in the city and, mm -hmm. and action you know more than this, the, just the discussions because right. some would argue that we had discussions for 20 years but it just took one day for the statue to actually come down wow. <laughs> it, it's been that's another thing that's been interesting isn't it how quickly things can suddenly become possible that that has been something we've all discovered <laughs> yes and i mean that again you know we in this moment where that has had ripple effects across the world mm -hmm. you know there's been some insignia in jamaica that they've recognized like actually this is not something we should be doing so i think it also happened here i can't remember if it's the the governor general of jamaica who is technically the representative of the monarchy uh so still it's a it's kind of just a, a figurehead position in jamaica but he, you know, he would wear insignia that actually, from a perspective of a Jamaican, is quite racist towards Jamaicans. And I think, um, and it, you know, it's been there for years, but it's since the coming down of the Colston statue that Jamaica as well has looked at its own symbols and insignia or someone has brought it up. And no longer, the, you know, the governor general's office said they will no longer use the insignia of, I can't remember, it must be like St. Paul's or St. Peter's or something like that. Mm. Um, but that's what's happened, you know, and that started in Bristol. Like I would say that, well, it started in Bristol, but you could also say, you know, it went back to those Black Lives Matter protests happening elsewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Symbolically though, the iconography and all of that, Bristol. <laughs> yeah. It, you, it, yeah. And I think you used the word about filter there. And I, it's like almost like filters have been pulled away from people's eyes. We're seeing things now that, it's not that they weren't there, but we didn't see them maybe before in, in that way. Yeah. Um, what, what do you hope that, thinking about your PhD now then, on that day when you get it all bound and you, <laughs> and you add it to that canon, what are you saying? What do you hope the legacy of that is going to be? Um, I think the legacy, honestly, I think I would hope the legacy is that there's a way to do it as a single parent of a young child, you know, because I think it's, pretty hard and we don't see that many people do it and I'm actually doing it right now um, and hopefully successfully like I said it's taken me a long time to do it but I think you know longer than expected but a lot of people take longer than expected and I just um, you know I really that's because at the end of the day you know it's a PhD you work really hard for it but it's a title you know once I'm finished it the the good thing is I can say doctor and I can get a big job, but it's not the only route. You know, there, there are many other ways you can get to, you know, the, the top of your game. Your game doesn't have to be academics. So I think, my, and, and often it isn't for a single parent, you know? So I think I hope that me going through it and, and having it, uh, is, that's the legacy really. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, so 
should we just talk a bit about forestry England? Because that was that was a really unique and impressive thing that I came across about you that night. That night when I was reading. About you. <laughs> um, so you you were taken on as um, poet in residence. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, writer in residence. Yeah, writer in residence. Sorry. Um, so how did that come about, and what what did you do in that year that you were the writer in residence? Um, so it was, I think they just put it out for their hundredth year, right? They were looking for two writers and I just applied and I was so lucky or, you know, kind of in the right time at the right moment that I got the interview and from the interview, I kind of, I guess I nailed it and I got the position. And I mean, there were two of us and it was just really nice because as I said, I didn't grow up here. So for me, in a way, it was discovering the country in a, in a very special way, mm. in a very special way that I hadn't seen here before yeah mm. who was the other woman that did took that role on with you tiffany baker francis tiffany yeah. what's that for tiffany i haven't heard about her much what <laughs> tiffany no tiffany just had um she just had a baby oh. um so she's doing well but she she has a i think she has a few books out uh, she has about two or three books oh, of writing oh. so <laughs> she's got great stuff she's she's a lovely writer and and we had fun when we were together. Like we really, we really yeah. hung out. Yeah. Right. So I remember, I remember what struck me. And again, it hadn't, I hadn't given it any thought and I don't exactly know why, but you, you were talking, I think about being a black woman in sort of countryside spaces and that, that not, not being kind of usual or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that, you know, is that something, well, do you want to comment on that now? Yeah, so I don't know if I would say it's unusual or I would say, well, I suppose it is in this context. So, so that was the thing that struck me, right, mm -hmm. when I came here, because growing up in Jamaica, we don't really think about it because you live in an outdoors kind of life. It's tropical. So we kind of always, we, we do things outside because that's the setting. It's the location for everything. You know, it's, it's what we have. So we, I didn't really think about it twice there but I think coming here you recognize how much people who live in the city and don't leave the city kind of are don't even recognize what else is there and don't recognize what is out there right or they do and they stick to their own little you know area that they go to so I think what was strange was being in kind of the the, the big forest further out you know I went to the I was in the Lake District. I kind of went places that I probably, myself, just probably would have never went because I, I have no, for, for now, I just don't have any, you know, I don't have any friends or family there. So I wouldn't go there, you know. So so I think for me, those things were a bit, um, and you could, you could tell, because people would say, where were you from? You know, so you could tell that I wasn't necessarily always expected to be where I was um but it wasn't that I was ever unwelcome as well you know and I think that's that's one of the things I say is that in the forest and in these spaces um they're so big and vast that quite often you can be alone and be fine you know you don't have to interact with other people and and that is the value that I think I want other people to pick up especially other other black people in England who don't venture out, you know, and, and don't know the niceness of it. And I will always say it's nice. They use that word niceness, right? You don't get it until you get there, until you experience it. Because, you know, I, I, I never expected I would love England, like love the countryside in England. Because when I think about it, I'm like, I have a real countryside. I have a real 
bush in Jamaica. Like, come on, I have the beach, I have everything, I have the mountains. So I didn't expect that there would be anything kind of like that beautiful and fantastical that really drew me in, but it did. The landscape really drew me in and a different type of, um, yeah, the river, you know, all of it is just, it's beautiful. I couldn't deny it. And I just, so I think I'm so much into like getting other people to see that as well, because uh, it wasn't what I expected. Okay. And did, so how did it, that, what did, were people, was Forestry England sending you places or you were just picking areas to go? No, I just kind of picked the ones I wanted to go to. And there were some who did, who did reach out. So re, there were some forests or people who had heard of us, you know, me and Tiffany, I heard about the positions and I did reach out and say, look, we want you to come and see this and that. And I mean, those are always good because we had, we had like people leading us tour and telling us what was happening, but there were also places that we, just went on our own you know they just went because it was one of the forests just to kind of get the experience yeah so it was both ways um and and each of each had their positives right each was great each was great and i think i like it for that because not everything was like forestry england saying go here do this you know they left it in fact they would have left it all to us if we didn't say you know we want this one that da, 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 da. we could have just gone yeah yeah so we're, we're, and I'll, I'll just go to my final question then and then we'll pass off to Alex. Um, it's just about the nature loving you. Where did that all start? You know, um, um, you know, maybe finish by my bit by saying, why should we be out in nature? <laughs> yeah, so it would it would have started, as I said, just being in in Jamaica and not even recognizing what I had until I left it and recognizing how much interacting with nature or the earth, the food that we ate, you know, the animals around, how, how I didn't have that here or, you know, when I were in, a, how, how much I missed that, you know, and sometimes I didn't even recognize I missed it. I remember I heard a dog barking once and I thought, oh my goodness, a dog. I haven't heard a dog just barking in a long time, you know, because dogs live indoors here. So I don't have a dog. I'm not necessarily going to hear a dog bark. But in Jamaica, a lot of dogs, they live outside. So you'd always hear a dog barking. So, I mean, just very small things in, in, in the setting I recognized. Just, I, you know, it wasn't the same experience, but these were things that I love so much mm. about living in Jamaica. So I think that's where this love, you know, recognizing that I really did love it, you know, came from, and, and then also falling in love with, with it as when I was writer in residence, falling in love with kind of the English landscape here. Um, and we're, why do we need to be outdoors? Um, I would say because fresh air is nice. Um, and like, you never know where your mind is going to go when you're not within the walls and when you see things that you're not used to in trees or on the ground or, flying around like you you never know where your mind is going to go and I think for a lot of at least the people that I bring to the forest or go with or hang out with you know we you go there and you, you come back with memories you know we always you always come back and remember something which makes it nice you know or quite often it's it's a good memory and so those are good those are good things in the to have in your bank of well-being it's the good memories oh. I like that in your bank of well-being like it right well I'm gonna um, pass over to Alistair now and that bank of well-being is the perfect kind of uh, segue over to to kind of um 
where I was going to kind of go with my questions here. Um, now, the listeners can't see your face while you're talking about this, but all the time you're talking about being out in, in nature um, and being in the woodland, you're becoming really animated and your smile's really, really big. And um, you kind of, it's almost like you're kind of going back there in, in, your, own, in your own mind while you're talking about it. Um, and I think during this kind of strange time that, that we've had in of what about uh, five, almost six months now of um, kind of being stuck in home, people have started to look towards nature as being a, a kind of great escape and started to associate it with, with well-being. Um, so do you think it's important for people to engage with nature for that well-being? Have you kind of got any advice that, that worked for you while you were out there and, and kind mm -hmm. of... Uh, beginning to, to kind of enjoy the environment yeah absolutely you know I, even just the other day two days ago I went for a walk and and it's the same thing I just recognized I was smiling for no reason and I was just walking out in my neighborhood and it's just because you know your mind I think for me and I, I think it happens for a lot of us too your mind really travels and you will think about things that are not so good and unhappy. But I think there's a processing that happens where people can become, you know, you know, we don't want to run away from um, kind of bad thoughts all the time. And I think walking and being outdoors, there's a process, I think, for me and for a lot of people that I do this with. The, the going through the kind of journey, the traveling, there's something about it that's, helpful and useful and the outdoors and seeing the plants and you know fresh air the smells i think there's something kind of really you know fulfilling i think it puts something back into us that we lose so much of it by being indoors and by having to work and stress and all the troubles you know mm -hmm. um yeah but i think it puts something back into us to be able to to do that and we lose a lot by being in indoors all the time and, and and working in universities or studying or you know wherever we are and that type of thing you know anywhere so so actually having not to do any of that and not having the trappings of the city i think it's good to kind of shed all of it sometimes i think it's good for us you know i think and i, I keep saying i think but actually i know it's good for us science we have science that actually says no being outdoors and all of that is good for you yeah yeah, that's what this is, is kind of really that key link to the to the mental well-being and, and being outside Absolutely. is such a big, important part of that, um, especially if you can give people a smile like you were kind of saying there and, and even for processing the not so good stuff. Um, kind of just adding on that a little bit, we recently spoke to someone on the podcast talking about um, using the arts and mental well-being to kind of express and, and explore these things as well. So um I wonder what your kind of role of the arts being being a writer as well is in in helping to kind of maybe process some of those thoughts or or engage with um some of that well-being that you can take from nature and those spaces as well yes yeah, so um art I, I, again this is one of the things that we use because i think for us um and, and as i said for us i should explain again this is the black and green project that was mentioned uh, earlier we use art and you know nature writing nature photography as a way to get people outdoors um and 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 so 
here you have different interests happening, right? Because you might want to come because it's an outdoorsy thing. But if you're interested in writing or photography, you might also come. And it just, again, it just happens that the setting is outdoors. It's a nature-based thing. And we do this and it's so funny how people cross. So the people who came for the nature end up loving writing and photography. And the people who came for writing and photography end up putting on the cameras and stuff and just being outside, just gone. You know, you just can't see them. Why? Because they're over this tree or something. And so again, what we, what it's, it's about people having the experiences and, and having the access, right? Because a lot of what it is, is just not knowing, not having access, not having had the experience. Um, and we almost don't recognize it, but I definitely think we, we come away from those experiences. As a group, when, when we do them as trips to the project, we come away from the, those experiences feeling kinship with the people that we went with, but also loving and respecting the things around us more, maybe because we can identify them a bit better or you know, we, we understand them. It's not kind of scary uh, in the same way. Yeah, and, and having things that are not scary around you is great for well-being because we live, again, we in, in, in towns, in the cities. We have a lot of things that put pressure on us and kind of stress us out and make us scared about living where we live and, you know, and continuing. So I think having the small things and knowing is great, is great. Yeah, I think it's so important as well that there's um, a huge space for well-being to be promoted within education um for our students um for one another and and kind of uh, all of the staff that that surround it as well um but listening to you talking about that kind of use of nature and the arts and those crossovers it it's really nice it's it's inspiring and and can kind of set some um ideas to get people out there and just enjoying those spaces and um i was smiling to myself while you were talking through it because uh, just last weekend I, I was in a in a space kind of doing just that and uh, I was thinking back to it as well which is really nice um before we kind of move on really and go any further I just um have a question on here because quite clearly you've got lots of projects going on and uh, lots of uh, thinking and um, that surrounds it but I wonder if we can ask you um what you're reading at the moment and if there's anything that you think we could add to our reading right now as well to kind of help us understand the world around us i am reading so apart i'm reading a lot of literature from black journalists in britain old ones so things that i'm finding again books that aren't necessarily ever recommended that i've had to dig to find i'm buying a lot of secondhand old, old copies um, but the one I am reading, and well, it's a collection of stor short stories called Her True True Name, and it's a collection of short stories of Caribbean women writers. And so it has a lot of short stories of some of, um, or, or excerpts from writers from the Caribbean, women writers from the Caribbean. And that's actually really good because funny, even though I am doing a, a PhD in Caribbean literature, or in literature, you know, from the Caribbean, I, I wouldn't say I've actually read a lot of the canon or the so-called big names of probably any genre, to be honest, because, I, you know, I just have read a lot of things, but I don't think I've ever just read one writer or anything like that, you know? So I am, I, I have for me as well, you know, 
coming into the PhD, I, I have had to catch up a lot. Um, and so that, that's one book I'm reading and really enjoying. And I would suggest for people to read, um, I'm going to suggest something from the Caribbean again. I think I would suggest reading anything from Kai Miller. So Kai Miller is kind of a really funny, funny writer about Jamaica. Like it's, it's, he's, it's, a lot of it is kind of satire, but great storytelling. And there's one that I love called uh, The Last Warner Woman, right? So I think Kai Miller, K-E-I Miller, anything from Kai Miller is good. And watch a video of him reciting, it's great stuff, yeah. That sounds great. And uh, I know Joe and I quite often will uh, read a book together and discuss it as we go. And I can already see her writing this down. So that will be one of the next ones on, on our kind of uh, reading list to go to. So that's really nice to, um, to listen to. It's been really great listening to you kind of talking through um, some of your experiences and um, your PhD and those crossovers with nature. And it was so nice to see you kind of uh, getting really happy and excited telling us about the spaces outside. So that that's something that I think will stick with me for a while. Um, I'll pass it over to Jo because um, I'm sure she has one or two things to say, Zakir, as well. And, and thank you very much um, for talking to us. So over to you, Jo. Um, well, I think it was just, we were going to end on inviting you to read something to us, weren't we? Yes. So I'm going to read a poem called The Arborists, which I wrote as a part of my forestry collection, Forestry England's collection. And I'll just um, start by telling you, so in all of Forestry England, there are only three people who are called tree climbers and they climb really, they, cl they climb the tallest trees, right? And there are only like three people who are trained to do it. And I just think it's, like a really great job you have to be really trained to date but also it comes across as this really manly job when you hear about you think lumberjack they have to climb really high but actually when you see them up there they're so graceful right? they're really beautiful and gentle you have to be because these are old trees that they're protecting so i wrote this poem called the arborist and and it's definitely in kind of honor of of these three men that i met right the arborists Heights of great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were climbing upwards, upwards, upwards. Towering giant, aerial king, crown grazer, air thin, beyond cloud, blessed blue, sky above, gray skies too, wandering wind, dainty spread, feather-like limbs to tread, leaping logs, timber tightrope, pivoting blocks, still he floats, skywalker, majestic muse, skilled worker, skillful, skilled worker, skill of use, skillful arbor acrobat, graceful climber, trim the fat, treetop gymnast, none like thee, balancing beams and felling trees. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> what did the, um, three men think uh, about that? Did they read it? They... What's so funny is I haven't actually been back there and I was, I planned to go this week and I didn't, I didn't. I was supposed to go this week, but I actually wanted to go and like say, here, look what I did. 
about you guys. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely had a long time with them, and, and they kind. Of, I think when I met them, I was like, I'm going to write about you. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah because it, it really i mean again it's such a it's a type of thing you never you we don't know a lot of these jobs you know there are a lot of jobs that kids as i was saying you don't have to be an academic there's so much to do that we, we just need to let other people know that look you can just be really skilled at climbing really tall and old trees mm. and you'll be like one of three people and you'll be great you know mm. yeah <laughs> That, that could be your plan B. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. I told them, like, I'm coming back to be a forester. Honestly, the forester, yeah, I love it. I think when I'm ready, I'm going to go be a forester. <laughs> well, I might see you next. Then. <laughs> well, thank you so much um, for your time today. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and I feel inspired to actually get off my backside and go and walk the dog outside now. Uh, <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> I want a little puppy. I don't have a dog. I don't have any pets. And I really would love to have a little puppy. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking. Yeah. Alistair, are you saying goodbye as well? Yeah. I, I, I was just really enjoying the poetry. I, I'm kind of disappointed when it ended. I was waiting for a bit more oh. to go. Yeah, it's really nice to listen to that. If you have another time, I'll just read our poetry the whole time. <laughs> and it's been fantastic having you to join us. So thank you very much for that and, and uh, telling your little story to us. So thank you very much and uh, a goodbye from us to you. So thanks very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the FE Research Podcast. You can follow the conversations on Twitter using the hashtag FE Research Podcast. Thanks for listening and hopefully you can join us again soon.